Today on the show, we have the return of Kevin Eastman, and some interviews are too epic to do alone, so I brought with me my best friend and bandmate, Mr. Dakota Michael Kroos. Yes, I'm here. We got to talk to Kevin Eastman, legendary creator, writer, and artist for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, who have arguably been the biggest influence on me and Dave's personalities, lives, and our band, Sea Level. It's ridiculous. For the longest time, we had a, a button. We did all these buttons for Sea Level that were puns on punk bands, except for one, which was the TM, TMNT logo yes. spelling out Sea Level. Also, every time we played a show on Halloween for the last 10 years of our band, we've always dressed up as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's a band tradition. It is a band tradition, which uh, we got to do this year. So um, issue four of um, Last Ronin is out. Uh, and this was like the last time I got to talk with Kevin was mind-blowing for myself. Like to grow up with the, these characters and the story and be able to talk to the guy who made it. And then when you learn... Kevin Eastman's story and how DIY and punk and like it was all them that did it and how epic that story is and that that itself is super inspiring so to be able to interact with this guy is personally insane and to be able to share that with you Coda such an honor Dave I really appreciate you having (laughs) me to talk to Kevin seriously it's it's insane and he he's one of the nicest people we I have ever got to talk to and uh such an amazing guest on the podcast for sure like I feel like if I had to list uh all the top interviews it'd be Kevin Eastman Pete Francis sorry everybody else Kevin Eastman in the third spot too now and Kevin Eastman the returns. returns oh man but yeah so this it was insane it was insane and I think I think we caught him at the end of the press run he put up with my canter and remembered us from last time, which was absurd. That's insane to be like talking to the dude who made the Ninja Turtles and have him be like, oh, I remember your voice. That's rad. And Dave kind of put him in the headlock towards the end with the, with uh, with checking out Sea level so we might actually one day hear what Kevin Eastman thinks of Sea levels music. Right, right. He he asked us to give him a grade for The Last Ronin, and it let's, we took hours upon hours of research and detailed notes, and we're going to present our grade for the last Ronin right now. Um, let me get my papers. Cody, you got yours? Yeah, let me get mine. <laughs> and uh, in all categories, story? 10. Art? 10. Characters? 10. Coolness? 10. Um, Badassery? 10. Well, yeah. That well, you skipped over a uh, radness. Mm, 10. And uh cowabunganess? Cow, Dare I say 10? Lack of pizza though. Mm. Not approved. Mm. Not enough pizza in it. But there is plenty of Bruce Lee in it. 10. <laughs> uh, and there's a fair amount of um brutalness. Mm. Yes, there is. Fair amount of brutalness. And my favorite part about issue four, which we've got a, a pre copy of. Yeah, we do right here in our hands. And the best part Here, is let's let's open to the the best page. It's right here at the right end. Here, at you'll the end. you'll never believe the ending. And, I if, can't and, be- and we can't we can't tell you about it, so go buy the issue right now. Right now. Or we'll 
call the police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and wh- while buying this issue, you should get it at Comics R Go, because the police don't go there. Yeah, go buy your comics at Comics R Go from Ed and Eric for a good price. <laughs> um, but yeah, in all seriousness, me and Cody are slap happy right now because this is absurd. It's absurd to appreciate someone's work so much and have it move you and be able to interact with that. And the fact that Kevin took more than the time that we were supposed to talk with us, or more than the time he was supposed to have the talk with us, he gave us a little bit more. And we are internally grateful for that and really appreciate it. And we are more than happy to present this interview to you guys now. So without further ado, check out our interview with Kevin Eastman. And if you can like, subscribe, rate, review the podcast on all the podcast platforms and follow us on the YouTube, Twitter and Instagram, it helps me keep talking to cool artists and sharing their insights with you. So now without further ado, we have Kevin Eastman. Part two. Re- return of the, the ooze. Return of the last Eastman. <laughs> return of the last Eastman. <laughs> Press and record. <laughs> wow. Cool, Chris. Sprite. So I was super honored to get the email to do it again. So I really appreciate this. You know, it's funny that was like um, I recognize your voice, um, you know, uh, immediately. I'm like, I, I know this voice, and uh, so yes, I'm glad you brought that up. Because, you know, we do meet a, a, a quite a few people, and, and it's like, you know, and I usually I don't, you know, I don't always remember names, but I definitely remember faces, and that's for sure. So, uh, but great to be on with you guys again, so, or you do. So. <laughs> yeah, thank cool. you. That means a lot. That's awesome. Well, to the jump into it, the kind of I guess narrative we wanted to dive into this time was like some old school questions, some process questions, and then kind of get into Ronan. The first question being, um, who is Captain Seth Eastman? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. That's a that's a fantastic uh, question because it is. Um, uh, my uncle Joel was a history teacher at the University of Southern Maine, and then. Um, um, for many, many, many years, and he had done a lot of um, uh, research and, and um, um, uh, on, on the, the, the genealogy of the Eastman family tree and traced it back to, you know, um, Roger Eastman, who left the um, um, uh, United Kingdom in 1638, came to the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and then sort of immigrated up to you know further up into New England, which eventually became Maine. And then there's a lot of understanding that it, it basically as it goes that a lot of the Eastmans, you know, um, came from that from that um, migration in that uh, that time period. And so um, it went through you know so there was this wonderful family tree of all this historical stuff. But one of the things that really caught my eye was um, Captain Seth Eastman, and he was um, during the Civil War period. Uh, he was in the Union Army, and he um, he was an artist, and uh, um, he recorded a lot of you know um, Civil War scenes and things like that in his artwork. And then after the Civil War, went and spent a lot of time. Um, he's got a couple of big books recording the history of the Dakota um, Indians. You know everything containing their, their 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 lifestyle, the things they cooked with and ate with, and their costumes and their, just everything. And then you know to make a very long story shorter is um, his final commission was uh, um, uh, the um, 
the government, uh, um, uh, Congress had, um, um, the War Department had, had commissioned him to create a series of paintings of all the most famous uh, original historical forts in the United States. And so back in those days, you went out and basically, you know, sat there with an easel and painted it from life. And um, he was near completing, I think it was 17 forts he was doing, and he was painting the um, um, one of the last ones, and uh, he collapsed on his easel and passed away. <laughs> um, and it's crazy, right? And um, and I always said that you know that's that's going to be me. You know, it's like I, I love my my art, and my drawing so much. It's like um, you know, I'm going to be they'll come into the studio someday, and I'll be slumped over my drawing board, and that'll be it. But that is a it couldn't be a happier happier way to go. So. <laughs> the the Eastman family tradition. <laughs> That's like the most rocking way. Did you discover yep. <laughs> uh, him while you were already an artist and already drawing and like, or was this kind of later, or, or sorry, before? Uh, no, it was it was it was later. It was it was um, in that I was you know, uh, as my mother would say, I was drawing on the wall since the first time I could hold a, hold a crayon and always. Uh, my grandmother painted. My father was a was a doodler. My mom, you know, um, you know, had artistic talent and and things. And so it was something that was, you know, really resonated and 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 sunk deep deep with me that I I did it all the time. And then as uh, um, you know, uh, years went by, and this was even into the early days of uh, you know the turtles and the turtles um, having some early success. That uh, when my uncle Joel finally put together all of the um, the genealogy stuff that you know, I really dug into that history and said, holy smokes. Yeah. And, and, and so it was definitely a, a discovery that I didn't, I wasn't aware of, which was a real, uh, real revelation. So it's like, it's kind of, it sounds funny, but it just made me think it's like one of those ancestry.com commercials you see and they go, <laughs> I didn't know, you know, my, the story of my family. And it was one of those things when I discovered, I said, Oh, that it gives you, does give you a sense of history and, and, you know, you know, where, where, you know, yeah, that's... where you all came from. So, that's so epic like the the this like be all the way down that path as far as you were and like learn that this is kind of the 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 trend <laughs> that's so cool yeah. now when you're you. doing Thanks. these um early just expressing yourself through art like in drawing was there like a particular thing like was it sketching or like what really resonated this is how i can convey myself was it just that you always did it or was there a particular like um, medium aside from like drawing that, that brought that out? It was, it was definitely, um, that's a good question. It definitely was, um, um, my, um, my means or what I really you know, grappled onto or gravitated to was comic books. And, uh, um, and that, um, you know, as a you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old, um, you know, it's just such a fantastical thing where, you know, you, can go to other worlds and other places. And certainly in those days where, you know, we lived in the country and I think we got two, I think we had three TV stations on a black and white TV and only two of them came in fairly good. And, and so um, imagination was something, you know, that was important and that, you know, um, to me that um, uh, related to comic books, it was whatever I could think of, um, past, present, future, any kind of tale, any kind of story, um, if I could write it and draw it, then I could go there. I could go to that place, you know, uh, 
um, you know, from King Arthur to Robin Hood to the Wild Wild West to you know, um, moon landing in, in you know Star Trek out of space. So that was really the the first um, uh, inspiration. I would draw that all the time, and then um, as I continued down that path, my my father was you know influential in that he said you know um, he said I don't think you know you can make a career in comic books, but he said that you know. Um, um, in his, he said, in my opinion, that if you are going to draw comic books, one of the things that you're going to need to do is draw everything, because comic book artists just don't draw a character standing in a heroic pose. You know, there's um, there's a background, and there's cars, and there's planes, and there's buildings, and there's other people, and they have to look different. If you want to tell a story, you have to be able to draw everything you can see and draw it well um, to tell a proper story. And that was really kind of a light bulb going off that. You know, um, you know, he's like, draw dining room table, draw chairs, draw the car in the driveway, draw trees, just everything. And so that really um, broadened my horizons to sketching everything and not just, you know, um, um, superheroes. And so that really helped uh, in a big way. And that, you know, something that I still do today. It's like, um, you know, if I'm working on a new story, I will you know, develop the costume, the characters, the look, the different people. Like it's like casting a movie, I guess. You know, you you have set designers and you have actors and you have things that you sort of put together all those pieces before you can actually start shooting your film. You got to know what everybody looks like and you know where all the locations are and all that stuff. So that's uh, that's critically important. That's fascinating, and it's interesting because like you have to. Uh, it, was there a process for? like a practice for doing that? Like, did you have a practice, like a, a daily routine of like addressing a new thing you haven't learned how to draw or convey? Like, did you, do you have like a daily creative schedule to do that and handle whatever you may need in the next story? Um, you know, as, um, as time went on for sure. And in, in the earlier days, um, you know, it was like, um, when I was supposed to be doing chores, I was drawing. When I was supposed to be doing homework, I was drawing. When I was supposed to be doing you know, all kinds of other things, I was usually drawing, and it was just whatever, you know, um, sketching and drawing and doing this. But then um, <laughs> um, once you get to uh, a more um, professional level, and I, and I use the term, I guess, loosely, especially in the early days, but once you get to a, um, a working system where, like I said, if you – or approaching a story and you want to do a story, say a, a period piece, um, you know, um, that you have to do the research and you have to, you know, know what they look like, what the costumes look like, what the, the sets look like. And, and so then it was, um, you know, if you work on a specific idea, even if it was just a single painting, you still would do um, the research and do the sketches that, um, so it was just definitely more, a more professional um, approach to, um, to, um, putting all the pieces together before you could start the journey, so to speak. It's interesting that you, you think of a, it kind of like getting all the props for a movie, like you said before, because when Coda and I, like when we cracked into the director's cut of Ronin, Coda brought that up. He was like, he's got everything planned out here. Cause in the back, you got like everything Michelangelo wears and each where each thing fits. And it's, it's amazing that all that is thought out and planned. No, it's in, it's critically important. And right. it's, you know, as I know that they'll do, you know, a, maybe probably a a, um, a larger version down the road, not to 
you know, try to get you to spend more money, but it's just for the people that are interested in it. Because there's, there's easily, um, you know, because you see like the layouts that I do in there, I've done the layouts for the entire series. The layouts for the entire series are, uh, are being done that way, so you have that. But then um, I think just even since that came out earlier this year, there's easily a, probably 100 hundred plus more drawings, um, maybe even more than that, of different sets and locations and things that, you know, as the, as the story develops, again, it's that, um, you know, as, as you go on to the next chat or the next scene, you have to have all the, you know, the pieces sorted out and what the characters look like. Because I, like I said, I'm storyboarding it and, and doing the layouts, but then I'm working with uh, some really amazingly creative guys, and but I give them a direction and I say basically, this is generally what the set looks like. This is generally what the costumes are. This is what I'm looking for. And there's some stuff I need them to be specific on, but they have the room to, you know, I'm not asking them to trace my drawings. I want their, I, I want to work with them because they're um, so creative. And, you know, the Escorza brothers and my friend Ben Bishop, I mean, they bring, um, I wanted to work with them because what they bring to the table. So it's like, so it's like sort of, this is what I'm looking for. And uh, you know, get creative, and then um, you know they. It's again, I, I keep referring to it as sort of a director situation. It's like if they veer off too far to the left or right, and I kind of nudge them back a little bit. But there's there's room, and they bring um, they bring it, they bring their A game, and that's that's um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's that's really cool way to describe it as a director. I never thought of it like that. Even though they call them directors' cuts, I've never considered that it really is a director's perspective and from a fan perspective thank you so much for let, opening that curtain to us and we don't mind spending money we'll buy all <laughs> all of them <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's funny well thank well first you know thanks thanks very much i appreciate this board very much um that's how i have such a great job but it's you know it's interesting the um you guys are in a band um you know there's there's definitely some similar crossovers that you still you know you you, you with the people you want to be with creatively as musicians and, and you need to be it has to be an ebb and flow and it has to be a give and take and it has to be sort of someone that sort of you know uh, keeps everything in line and keeps you sort of pointed the right way down the highway but you still want to explore and bring the best you know sound and the tune and the opportunity to the to the finished piece so it's a, it's a lot of you know that right brain activity in both our worlds Totally. It's interesting you bring that up because uh, Dave and I have always kind of thought of the Turtles as our biggest influence as a band in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Because they kind of are like a band where it's like it's four people and they're teenagers and they always eat pizza and they're always in a van. Like there's so many things that they do that directly mirrors what we do as a, <laughs> as a band. And Except I, for the cool, you know. Yeah, except for stuff. the ninja stuff. But uh, <laughs> I was always curious if... Um, <laughs> <laughs> if they, if the turtles were a band, what instruments do you think each one of them would play? Oh my God, that's funny. That's a, <laughs> that's a great question because uh, um, um, man, that's because I was just thinking uh, um, again. Yeah, the, there are so many similarities, but I would say you know, um, um, if you attribute it to sort of the personalities, um, you know, it, it seems like. Uh, um, um, you know, Raphael would be the drummer um, um, because he's, you know, it, it brings a ferocity to the to the backbeat. And that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd see somebody like, um, 
Donatello for some reason just made me think of a keyboard player. Oh, like okay. it bring like a, a certain level of uh, of that to it. Um, and then you'd sort of be left with um, Leonardo Michelangelo. Um, so I think one would be, you know, you've got to have your, your lead guitar and rhythm guitar. And for some reason, you know, I would put Michelangelo on lead and um, Leonardo on bass. Because it's sort of like, if you look at them, like if you broke it down like the Beatles, mm-hmm. um, right. that okay. you'd have that kind of like a, um, that, that kind of feel to them that, you know, there's a, you know, drumming is a backbeat bass. The great bass player is really that, um, you know, timing, um, 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 backbone of a particular song and things like that. And that allows, you know, the, uh, uh, the other, you know, the, your, you know, lead guitar. So you're, um, that would, you know, the opportunity to sort of bear off and, and, and hit those, hit those notes. Um, <laughs> While everybody else keeps it uh, keeps keeps everything on track, so that that would be my spin on it, I guess. That's a great answer. <laughs> um, who do you think they would tour with? Oh, yeah, if they had a, if you had to have an opener, yeah. <laughs> or who would they open for? Or yeah. Who would open for them? I guess a surprise. <laughs> That's a solid. Yeah. They, 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 you know, they probably tour with. Uh, I was just watching um, this morning because uh, Courtney had actually got us tickets to the. Um, the uh, Green Day, Weezer, um, Fall Out Boy uh, nice. okay. um, tour that's just starting and uh, delayed. And I'm a lifelong Green Day fan. And, of course, Weezer has always been great and solid and one of those things. I, I like all the, we like all the bands. And so we were excited that, the, you know, out of after all the delays, the, the tour is getting started again. But, yeah, they'd, 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 they'd be right in that mix, I think. And, yeah, that'd be a, my, a, good, my, a good fit. My take, so. Yeah, you know, up there with Billy Joe. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> it's interesting because there's a lot of punk in the in the first run of the Turtles, and especially in some of the side stories or uh, short stories. There's that Ghoul's Night Out, which was dedicated yep. to Glenn Danzing from the Misfits. Did he ever mm-hmm. follow through? Did he ever like reach out to you guys? No, we we we. I met Glenn uh, a, a bunch of times. He's very he, he's such a, a big comic, you know, comic fan. He's you know we had a mutual friend, um, an artist named Simon Bisley, and uh, but no, Glenn's Glenn's a big comic uh, art collector, and he owned a yeah he did uh, he did a book comic book publishing while. company. Yeah, Verotic. He was um, the company was called Verotic, and he but he did do a bunch of publishing, some art books and some comics. Um, series. I think he did some Rosetta adaptations of like Death Dealer and um, Jaguar God and some yeah, other stuff like say, that. Jaguar but um, God is the one that no, I have. Yep. But yeah, he's a he's a he's a he's a great comic fan, and it was um, that came through uh, an old friend of mine from Maine, a guy named Eric Talbot, who uh, was part of the original um, Rush Studios lineup, and he was a big. Uh, uh, Misfits and Danzig fan, and, and uh, brought like things like you know uh, Metallica and um, some of the other you know bands that I you know weren't on my radar. I was more you know um, uh, I, I love rockabilly and rhythm blues. You know bands like the Blasters or you know um, you know Stray Cats and just different you know sort of um, more um, soul R and B and that kind of. Uh, inspired stuff james you know anything blues james cotton little walter those guys he did that so i love it so 
because like the, I think the next short story, the 49th Street Stompers, which was your first solo. Yep. Um, it, the opening panel has them, is that like hearing Metallica? And then the, like one of the protagonists has the cramp shirt on, which is very rockabilly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How's the harmonica treating you? Oh man, I, it's something that um, um, I wish they'd put a little bit more. Uh, I wish they stuck with it a little bit longer because it was it was it's funny because it was um, when I first started just just kind of playing along. It was like uh, uh, like that. It was um, I had a couple blues collections like I did like Little Walter and James Cotton and a lot of the the absolute genius harp players. Um, but there was. Um, you know, <laughs> the Blues Brothers, um, some of their albums just had such an incredible lineup of, um, you know, Steve Cropper and Duck Dunn and, right. um, you know, Bone, Tom Bones Malone. And just, it was a lot, they had really put together a, an incredible band and they would have a lot of songs that were easy to follow along with the harp and, um, and stuff. So I used to have a, a um, commute back and forth to uh, work. It was about an hour each way. And I was living in Massachusetts and that was my ride huh. each way was I had, you know, my you know, six harmonicas, you know, A, C, D, E, and G and stuff. And I just play along back and forth and back and forth. And, um, and that was, that was probably two or three years. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I wasn't driving as much and it just sort of fell off to the wayside and then got replaced with the, drawing and painting and stuff like that but uh, but yeah I, I miss it i pull it out every once in a while and and just remember how much i forgot and then it gets frustrating to be like, ah, crap. <laughs> awesome it's it's hard i can't i can't imagine how how much like with all the detail that goes into every page and how much time that takes to be able to balance the two as well as real life and and this and talking in you know i mean that the the time management aspect of that has to be insane. It's, it's, yeah, it's um, like anything, um, you know, for all of us, but you know, we all have you know, very busy lives. And that's one of the things that like, you know, um, I bring up when, you know, when, when, you know, a young person, you know, will come up to the table and they, they, they want to get into the you know, business comics or, or, or what have you. And they say, well, how do I get in and how do I do this? And how, you know, they'll bring the portfolio and they say, could you, tell me what I could do better. And, and, uh, and uh, I basically tell them the same thing um, because it's true. It's like, if you want to be um, a comic book artist or comic book writer or a musician, or you like football, baseball, um, you know, anything that you have a passion for um, the time management part is, is critical because you have life and work and homework and social life um, you know, you have responsibilities and things. And, and I said, sometimes that it, it, you know, you can go days or weeks or, you know, anything, you know, the time period without spending any time on your craft and, and, and your passion for what you love. And, and I said, you almost have to schedule it like you would a meeting or a thing that you just got to say, I don't care, you know, at seven thirty to eight thirty or eight o'clock, um, I'm just going to go in the other room and I'm going to sketch and draw and doodle or play a harmonica or do whatever you have to make that, that time. And it's not, it's not easy. I mean, you know, you've got, you know, three 
you know, the dogs and cats and a 14 year old seemed to be 15 and, you know, um, responsibilities. And it is like, we, you know, have multiple businesses within our business, um, whether it be the convention business or the things we do on Kevin Eason studios, the products, but then it's also, you know, the, the driving forces, you know, the, the comics and the covers and the, um, and that, the writing and the drawing is, is critical to that whole part of the business, which is important for that whole part of the business. So yeah, time management can be quite brutal, but you have to be uh, dedicated and, and, um, and, and make the time because uh, it can easily slip away. It's like, you know, I was just complaining the other day that I need to get my ass back to the gym. Um, cause you know, you, yeah. you stop working out and you stop doing that kind of stuff and suddenly it's a week and it's two weeks and it's two months. And then it's right. like, ah, and suddenly you, you, you put on five pounds and you're like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, Gotta, uh, gotta gotta get back to it. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a, the the did scheduling all that together and trying to make it work is super frustrating because there's always something else. Like physical health keeps everything else going, but when you need to put so much time to to yeah. learn the new landscape and what you're going to draw and how everything that goes into it, or just even write or take time to promote. It takes up or family time is so much and to be able to schedule it and fit it right is a really I can't I don't know if there's a right or wrong way to do it. But when as far as the creative aspect of when you do schedule it, do you find that time becomes like, was it easy to do that? Was it easy to make the time to focus like from 738? Does it just like the creative brain just click on and stuff start just rolling or is it it's like, is it hard because it is scheduled for you? It's it, sometimes it is. Um, it can be hard because it is like uh, um, it, it depends on you know, it depends on the the size and the breadth, the breadth and the length and the the material you're working on, the story you're working on. For example, like um, 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 if the things like the last Ronin, it's um, it's. Uh, you know, it's a 200 page story, you know, we're coming up on a, wrapping up 160 pages. And from the very beginning, each time you do a page or you add a bit and piece to the story, it's kind of a ripple effect and it, and it has, it has to be addressed and you have to remember everything you did and carry it through all 200 pages. Um, and, the, and it gets more intense or, you know, or as much so that say if you're, like where we're at now is, um, you know, in the middle of um, just wrapping up, uh, up page 160. And so as we're going tour into the last episode, it is um, uh, each page you have to remember everything and every nuance you did for all the previous pages as you make adjustments to or add to. Because um, if you make one um if you take if you take a, a step to the left or right that's offbeat, then that you know will fuck up everything you've done before. It sort of right. takes it out of mm-hmm. um, takes it out of takes it out of balance. So you have to be aware of it. So the point is, is like um, sometimes if you're getting towards you know if you spent eight hours working on you know this that and the other thing in life and phone calls and you know family stuff and things, and then you have to sit down you know at seven o'clock at night and and work on a couple more pages to pull all those connectors again, um, together to, to move it another page or two or three down the line. Sometimes it's just impossible that like your brain is, 
just absolutely um, scrambled eggs. Um, so um, that's tough. But then what I do usually in that kind of scenario is I save um, sometimes the later work for just working on, say, a cover or an illustration or something either related to or as part of some of the other jobs that I take on because once that's sort of established, it's a standalone piece and you don't have to think so much and you can have, you know, the TV on the background or listen to a podcast or have music going and you just sort of, you know, do the artistic stuff and you don't have to really think about it that much. So, yeah, yeah. that's good. So, um, so, yeah. So, um, kind of on the topic so, of Ronin. Well, listen. Sorry. Yep. Okay. Um, no, I was just say, go ahead. And say, let's, let's, let's get down to the last couple of questions. Okay. Because, uh, yeah. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting a high sign of it's time to uh, get back to, you know, my other, get back to the family and uh, all that stuff, but it's uh, enjoying the conversation personally anyway. So, great. Um, last time we talked, we talked about Bruce Lee and the martial art, uh, martial arts philosophies. And, um, we, uh, mm-hmm. in the second issue, you kind of dive into Mikey's backstory and it kind of, it, it's very res- uh, reminiscent of the book of five rings. It, was that the influence mm-hmm. on that? Yes, definitely. It was, um, it was definitely, you know, with, and it's something that, um, as I read many, many years ago, Bruce Lee's um, uh, Jeet Kune Do, which is sort of his over, overlying philosophy of martial arts and what makes a better martial artist, and it actually put him in um, conflict with a lot of, um, different martial arts purists in that um, um, and actually if you look back I did an issue Turtles issue 21 was kind of a fill-in issue and it's one where I had Splinter dressed up in disguise as a kind of this mysterious assassin-like character and he sort of went after each of the Turtles and he said you know the lesson was you know you only use a side you only use a, a bow stab you only use a sword or you only use a nunchuck, and so that limits your ability to combat other people that can use all of those weapons right. and use them better or different kinds of weapons. Um, and so that's what um, his concept was, is learn all martial arts, master all martial arts, and that will make you, quote-unquote, the ultimate martial artist, which is what a lot of MMA guys do now, um, especially the really good ones. Um, but the... Um, 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 so that 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 to me was um, important to the turtles' philosophy, and it was um, also something that, you know, like I said, Bruce Lee getting into conflict with some of the the purists. That if you if you study wushu, you only study wushu. If you study, you know, karate, you only study karate or jujitsu or um, things that just do one thing. And that that to me is um, if we really think about it, it does make a, makes a lot of sense to study everything and be better at everything. And then you can, you know, um, if you're fighting a guy that, uh, if you know six different forms of martial arts and you're fighting a guy that a person that only knows big judo, then potentially you would have a lot more options in your arsenal to, um, to, uh, um, win. Um, speaking of Bruce Lee, I was, I was curious, you had a Bruce Lee esque uh, story that you did with Conan, the barbarian. I'm, I believe that was your first, uh, interior marvel work yes yep yeah that was um um yeah i really had you know it was um it, it's funny that was story was a, a mixed blessing and, and and i mean that by um huge lifelong conan fan 
Um, but it literally came probably at the worst possible time. Mm-hmm. The time I said that I had so many other projects, especially, um, you know, last Rona that were, were moving so that I had a very, very small window to work on it. You know, probably would have spent a year growing it. Um, and then, you know, the story was, was the story I originally pitched was five pages and it was, you know, we ended up doing 10, but it was very much Bruce Lee inspired, um, you know, a bit of a redemption and a bit of a, you know, revenge and, and, you know, taking care of the, you know, those who can't look out for themselves. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, that was, um, the singular, um, interior Marvel work that I've, that I've, uh, ever done. And, and, you know, who knows if I'll ever do another one. It's, it, there was an opportunity that was presented and I jumped on it and, um, had a lot of fun, but it was, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. That's awesome. Um, if you had another opportunity to do maybe like a mini series there, is there a particular character you would, you'd like, I'd, I'd love to see you write someone like Shang-Chi. Yeah, no, that would be, you know, that's, yeah, I love that stuff. And, and I guess, you know, I'd, you know, if I had to pick, um, I had to pick, you know, I, I guess I gravitate to one of my biggest influences, inspiration long before even you know, Frank Miller came on board. Now uh, Daredevil was, um, you know, my favorite, one of my all time favorite characters. And, you know, and I always gravitated towards the, you know, the Daredevils and the Captain Americas and Batmans and things that were, Heroes that were, you know, a bit more grounded, if you will, they sort of um, relied on, you know, physical strength and training and their brains and that that kind of skill to uh, um, to accomplish the, the the missions and the things they wanted to. So, um, top of the list for me would I'd I'd I'd, I'd try and go for like Daredevil, um, and of course it would be, you know, being selfish, I'd love to do a Turtles. Daredevil crossover. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Super sick. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, Kevin, thank you fantastic. so much for hey. I know you've been doing press all day, and I really, really appreciate that the Jasmine sent the thing to to be in the press thing again. So this and the fact that you remembered <laughs> my voice and my canter, appreciate that you didn't hang up right away. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, it was good. Enjoyed talking to you guys. You guys, you guys asked great questions, and it's uh, you know, and honestly, I. I talk a lot, and um, I always enjoy. Uh, I enjoy it. Um, so it was uh, a pleasure chatting with you. And yeah, I would say, why don't you? Uh, you know, I think we should be. If everything goes as planned. We should. We'll, the, the idea is that we'll wrap up issue five and have it out before Christmas. Um, so maybe we'll circle back um, the end of the year or the very first of next year. And That'd be awesome. Me, do a little report card. Let me know how we. Let me know how we did. For yeah. sure. If you'd put up with talking with us again, we'll call you. <laughs> well, thank you okay. so much. And, no problem. Uh, It'd be, be, be my pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. Yep. Have good. a good night. Later. Thank you as well. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Cowabunga. Cowabunga.